Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassink, and I'm the Medical Director for the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight at the American Academy of Pediatrics. I recently sat down with my friend Sally Sampson, Director of Chop Chop Families. We wanted to discuss the importance of cooking and how pediatricians can support families with early nutrition choices through education. Stay tuned to hear our conversation. I'd like to welcome everyone today to our podcast with my good friend, Sally Sampson, who is the brains behind the magazine many of us have in our clinics called Chop Chop, and got me interested in teaching cooking and talking about cooking uh, with my children and families. And welcome, Sally, to our podcast. Thank you for having me. And, you know, uh, cooking is such an engaging subject, but it's one that we don't uh, often talk about with our patients and families. And, of course, with the rising uh, uh, concern about obesity, about food insecurity, about the effects of COVID, um, it's becoming clear that cooking is becoming um, essential for families to negotiate uh, the nutritional atmosphere they find themselves in. And I wanted to start out by just asking you, Sally, how did you get interested in cooking? Um, I always liked to cook as a child. So that's just something that I did. But like a lot of children, I made um, cookies and brownies and that sort of thing. And then when I was 14, a friend of mine said to me, you know, I'm going to become a vegetarian. Do you want to become a vegetarian? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I mean, people weren't vegetarians then. I mean, it was very unusual. But so I thought, fine. So I stopped eating meat. And um, for this audience, I will say that my mother dragged me to the pediatrician and she said, what do I do? And the pediatrician said to her, it's just a phase. Don't worry. And I can literally remember saying, just watch me. It's not a phase. And two weeks later, my friend said, I don't want to be a vegetarian anymore. And I said, okay, I won't be a vegetarian. And then that night we had chicken for dinner. And I was like, no, I, I really sort of in those two weeks became a vegetarian and stayed that way for 12 years. But what happened was my mother said to me in the nicest, most loving way, you better learn how to cook because I'm not doing anything special for you. I'm making dinner. And so I learned how to cook. I mean, I really just, I can remember just experimenting all the time. And, you know, there weren't even really vegetarian cookbooks then. I just started cooking and I loved it and I still love it. So how did you get from, um, uh, self-preservation vegetarian cooking to uh, the magazine called Chop Chop? So I have a daughter with a chronic illness. She has this, again, this group will understand. She has chronic recurrent idiopathic pancreatitis. And when she was very little, her gastroenterologist said she should be on a 5% fat diet. And so I started cooking that way and in my research ended up learning a lot about obesity because at that time the way I was cooking was all low fat and that's what people were talking about then 
And then at some point, I mean, very quickly, the gastroenterologist said five percent fat is not the right thing for her. So we launched Chop Chop, and you know, as you well know, we launched it um, with the um, vetting of the AAP and in many, many, many pediatricians' offices. So, what's been your biggest um, challenge? and or surprise in the, your work with uh, Chop Chop and getting this information into the hands of uh, pediatricians, children, and families? I think when I started, people really didn't get it. It was sort of like cooking and kids, nah, don't get that. Cooking and obesity, nah, don't get that. And over we launched 12 years ago over this time, you know, particularly as you said in the introduction now, people really see the connection. So, I mean, I guess to be honest, I was really surprised in the beginning that people didn't get it. And yet I will say pediatricians were still willing to try it, you know, because it was also really such a great way for pediatricians to connect to their patients for parents to connect to their children, to bring in, as we do, math, science, um, cultural literacy, financial literacy. I mean, cooking is like, we look at everything through the lens of cooking, but I think people were kind of willing to give us a chance because even if you didn't want to actually cook, you could still learn things in the magazine or you could still learn things by cooking. So Sally, this makes me really think how relational cooking is. And I remember I used to leave copies of the uh, Chop Chop magazine on my exam tables and the kids would come in and leaf through them and, and when they were waiting. And I remember a little girl, she was about nine and she leafed through the magazine, saw a, a recipe she got attracted to, turned to her mom and I was, I had just walked in and said, mom, I really want to make this with you. And I thought, the mother looked like you had just struck her with lightning because I think <laughs> never before had her kid said, I want to make something with you, let alone a healthy something. So I just realized the power of um, just the engagement in cooking as a relational event between uh, uh, family members and the excitement uh, that kids have when they really learn uh, to, to do a new skill. And it was just um, so uh, such a happy moment to, to see that happen. Um, We've, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead, Sally. Um, we've actually heard a lot of stories about kids who asked their parents to make things that they had, that the parents were really surprised at. But what a lot of parents told us was that the kids were sort of forcing them to be good role models. So if your kid says to you, let's roast carrots, it, you sort of have to say yes. You know, it's an inexpensive thing. It's easy to make. And the kids seem to be, for the most part, driving the changes and bringing their parents along. Yeah, and I think that we experienced the same thing. We ran a cooking class for um, adolescents who were at risk for diabetes, and they were cooking. And uh, the Two things, several things happened. One is we had a big family meal at the end of the course, and the parents uh, had a lot of new food there that they had never tried and <laughs> were very willing to do it because their adolescents were so proud of their efforts. And also, um, the adolescents would be 
cooking food and then bringing it home. And the parents were just enthralled and said, I have something really positive to talk to my, my son or daughter about. And it was just really um, such a good experience for them. So I wonder, um, as pediatricians, how you would help us um, begin the conversation about cooking with our families. Well, what we recommend is that pediatricians pick a recipe, say in an issue, or honestly pick an, a recipe from their own lives or from the Internet, but pick a recipe that's relatively um, simple and then talk to the child about it. Say, you know, last night I made my own salad dressing. All you do is you throw these three ingredients in a jar and you shake it up. And so what we found is that if the pediatrician has actually made something themselves and can share their own personal experience, it kind of gets the kid excited about doing it. And then it's this, you know, back to it's a real interaction. It's a real connection with the child. So that's, um, I mean, it can be literally anything. You know, it can be I sliced up avocado and put it on toast this morning. And, yeah, um, and so that. Yeah, and I think drawing from our own experience uh, is is so powerful because I think that kind of, um, it is a bond with the kid. We're excited and they get excited. And uh, and the parent gets excited watching the kid get excited. Exactly. Um, you know, we, we, we really uh, have come to appreciate, I think, that cooking is an essential health skill. And uh, we've been thinking a lot at the academy, and uh, I know pediatricians have been thinking about how we get the young, very young children uh, on the right track with with eating. And um, can you share with us some of the things that you've done in terms of this early nutritional literacy for kids? Well, you know, um, at, with your support and the support of the AAP, we just um, launched um, a kitchen activity deck for two plus. So it's an it's called Eatable Alphabet, and it's an A to Z of really simple. I mean, I almost want to put recipes in quotes for kids to do with their the adults in their life. So, for instance, A is for avocado. So it shows a picture of an avocado. So you could really just use it for that. Like, hey, here's an A. There's avocado, and then on the back there are, for each uh, letter there's um, a visual sort of an equation. So you don't have to speak English. You don't have to be a reader even to see what it is. So in the case of this, it's an avocado plus a piece of toast equals avocado toast. And then on all the recipes, on all the pages, there's sensory things. So there's looking at something, touching, moving. So it's roll like an egg. You know, it's, we basically came up with any, thing that would engage the kid. So it's it could be like there's somebody who has had the eatable alphabet for about three months and she tells me about what her daughter's doing. And she said, they haven't even gone into the kitchen yet. Her daughter's using it. I think she's three. She's using it to learn the alphabet. She's rolling around. She's jumping. You know, they're <laughs> talking through it. And that's really what we were trying to do. It's 
you don't have to even get in the kitchen yet. I mean, that's obviously we want you in, in the kitchen, but we want, I mean, there's also count also. So, you know, it's, there's so many different ways to start the engagement. And as you know, no age is too young. You know, and we know parents are really, for lack of a better word, hungry for ideas for activities with their kids, especially now uh, during COVID when everybody has been at home and um, anxious to just know know how to interact with their kids in a positive way. I just got off the um, phone talking to somebody about the, just the pervasiveness of screen time. And it's so great mm. to have activities that are really, again, relational, hands-on activities that uh, families and kids can share. Um, I also think that the, the idea of um, engaging kids with healthy eating uh, does help the family focus more on healthy eating. And um, I think parents know the importance of it, but aren't always sure how to get from where they are to a healthier um, way of eating. So if we're talking to our families and maybe we've shared a recipe with families, um, how would you how would you go on with that conversation if mom just goes, you know, looks a little flummoxed, like how do I get from where I am to where I, I really want to go, which is a healthier eating plan? How, how would you... I... Uh, I think, you know, I'm not a pediatrician, right? but I think that I would probably ask, you know, I would probably start with vegetables and find a vegetable, or maybe I would start with fruit, but something, a fruit or a vegetable that is healthy. So maybe it's an apple. And, you know, maybe it is a family that just eats apples. They don't eat any other fruit. You know, I might talk to them about you can slice it and put peanut butter on it or some sort of nut butter. And, you know, I, I would really encourage people to go very slowly and not to make the kid feel bad or the parent feel bad if they don't do it right. You know, I would just, like we say, take really small bites. It Change is slow. And in this case, I think that you don't, um, you, you don't want to have people go backwards. But one thing that I will say is kids are much easier to change their habits than adults. A lot of the time it's the parent who's like, ick, you know, I don't want to eat this, and so they're not going to give it to their child. We did – so for Eatable Alphabet, we did F is for fish, and we did tuna, anchovies, and sardines. We opened them all up. The parents are in the room. So we did classes, sorry. We did Eatable Alphabet classes. So the parents are in the room. There's like a bunch of sort of three- to five-year-olds that w are in our class. And we bring out this fish, and the mothers or the women are like backing off like like there's poison <laughs> being, you know, put into the air. And the kids, nothing, nothing. They ate every – we had three-year-olds eating anchovies. No issue. And a lot of, so, you know, it really is, and, and the kids didn't say anything about, oh, isn't it stinky? Nothing, nothing. I mean, we were a little surprised, not shocked, yeah. but a little surprised. I mean, they just were like, oh, here's something new and interesting. And we see that all the time. It's parents and adults who are like, oh, no, I'm not going to eat this.
that's I think that if you get them uh, to participate in it, you know, then they're more interested in trying something. So I think we squeezed lemon on them. We might have put mustard on some of them. And I think because the kids were engaged in the activity, it was more compelling to eat the food. Well, Sally, you're making me smile because we often and frequently talk about adults as being role models for children. But in this case, I think the children were role modeling for the adults. <laughs> and I Absolutely. think that's something, something as a pediatrician I just love, that the children were fearlessly approaching the uh, anchovies uh, while the adults were, were, were backing away. Uh, and I think it speaks also to children uh, just liking to get physically engaged with their food. And right. um, we all know that. And we spend time actually, I think, sometimes distancing children from their food. You know, they, they when they learn to uh, go from finger foods to utensils, um, a lot of food comes pre-prepared and pre-packaged. And it seems to me we spend a lot of time distancing ourselves and our kids from from this physical sensory experience of food. And I think kids really love that sensory experience uh, they of their do. food. And in this case, they also took enormous pride at the fact that they were eating it and all the grown-ups were backing off. So I think they felt this kind of like, whoa, you know, I'm kind of out grown-uping the grown-up. <laughs> so, so, so true. So, you know, as we know, it's it's really important to start uh, with our young youngest children. Uh, and we know that the school-age children are, are, are very happy to get in the kitchen often with supervision and be a help at meals. It's a great engagement tool. Uh, I know you don't all, always um, talk about adolescence, but do you have any help for us or just ideas about the adolescents and, and their families and how we engage with them around the food? Well, you know, I was 14 when I, you know, said to the pediatrician, just watch me. But I think that one thing I would probably do is encourage kids to, you know, make a meal a week. Just sort of say, okay, how about you pick a day of the week and let them pick. You pick a day, the kid says Wednesday, and say you can go online, you can look in these cookbooks, you can look in Chop Chop. You pick something, I'll help you if you need the help, but that's your responsibility. And I think, you know, one of the things we say to parents is teach your kids to cook and they'll make you dinner. You know, it's hard to start when they're an adolescent, but I think that's pretty powerful is that you're sort of really contributing to the family. You have a responsibility. And, you know, they may not make stuff you like, but I would still, you know, you could still even say here are the parameters, you know. It, mm -hmm. You can't order pizza. But I think that um, I would do something like that if it's a kid who's really reluctant to do that. I would start maybe with snacks. One thing that I did with my kids was when they came home from school, I had cut up vegetables and, say, hummus and then, say, cut up melon on the table. And they were so hungry when they would come home from school that they would eat whatever I put there. And we've seen this with a lot of families who start doing things like that, that if you sort of put it out there when they're really hungry – they'll kind of eat it maybe even a little unconsciously at first.
You know, such a such a great idea, both of those things. And I, I often think of the cycle that we're in as pediatricians because our adolescents become young adults. And as young adults, we know that young adults have some of the worst um, eating habits of any age group. And those young adults become parents. And so right. the opportunity to engage with food and cooking at every age is so important. And, you know, maybe they they haven't done that as a young child or a school-age child, but it's it's never too late with your adolescence to, to talk about this and to get them engaged with, with their cooking and their food because yeah, they will and be you know, the parents. <laughs> right. I mean, it's really, I look at my own children who are in their 20s and, you know, they don't live at home and they call me for recipes. Now, it's different, but, you know, they, I think they see kind of the, power in being able to feed themselves. You know, their friends are ordering takeout all the time and they're not cooking fancy stuff. It's just they can feed themselves and that's very powerful. And and very empowering. And I go back to the the uh, teaching adolescents cooking and the parents were very um just very almost overwhelmed that the adolescents would then cook for the family. And that was an enormously powerful thing exactly. uh, for both the adolescent and the family to see. So, you know, as we move forward, um, we're, we're all uh, coming out of COVID uh, with uh, an increased concern about obesity and food insecurity. Um, there's been some economic downturns. It seems to me cooking has, is gonna be more important than ever. So um, in terms of just uh, helping uh, families uh, talk about cooking in a way that uh, I liked what you said, it's not uh, sort of why aren't you cooking, but where are you and how do you start? Um, do you have any thoughts about, uh, I was always struck with how dinner was a problematic meal for many families. They're busy, they're stressed, uh, and then the kids go, come back from school now, they're going to be coming in hungry. Uh, any thoughts about how to help families make dinner less of a project? You know, I mean, I think something really simple. Um, is that what you mean? You mean what to yeah. cook or, yeah, I mean. I had mothers kind of tearing up about dinners. They would either yeah. be cooking at Lent and then the kids didn't want to eat or they'd be defaulting because we were they thought they needed a hot meal and then didn't have time so they ordered out and they were just sort of sort of going round and round about what what's the best thing to do in the constraints that they had I think one thing is to really try to prep on a weekend and you know maybe it's if you're making a soup, let's say you want to have soup for dinner, you try to make it on Sunday, you know, as long as you don't work on Sunday. But, you know, you make it or you marinate chicken or you, you know, things like turkey burgers are, it's so much healthier than beef. It's the exact same thing. I mean, a turkey burger takes 10 minutes and you could, you know, one thing that I'm a really big proponent of is making a simple thing and then putting options on the table so that 
if you do have a kid who's considered a quote-unquote picky eater, they can have the plain thing, but then you also have mustard on the table. You have salsa on the table. And the kids can participate in that way. So, like, the parent makes the simple thing, and then the kid kind of jazzes it up or not according to what they want to do. So even if it's I mean, sometimes that means you have to have a lot of ingredients, but for some people that's – it could be lettuce, tomatoes. Um, I think it's also like you don't have to get it perfect. You can eat eggs for dinner. You know, you can put plain pasta and let kids adjust, you know, put things in it. I mean, right now I'm making chili. It's in the background for a friend and she doesn't want it spicy. So like I use this recipe from Chop Chop. It's really not spicy. So I will give it to her and then what's left over I'll add spice to for me. She can put, you know, uh lime juice on hers where I'll put on lots of different things. So I think it's trying to mix and match a little. Don't sweat it too much. Find a recipe you like, make it over and over. I mean, I think most people make, you know, in most people's repertoire, they're probably making 10 to 12 different things anyway. They're over not making over. 40, you yeah. know. And well, so what, I would just pick simple stuff. What I love, love, love about what you said is make it simple and easy, right? And let the, the, the family members participate in garnishing that food and adding to the food so that you've really made a participatory event out of the meal. I just yeah, love I, that. I think it really helps. And, you know, it, because uh, people have different tastes. And I think if a child feels like they have some agency, it's going to help. And, yes. Or a teenager and, or an adult for that matter. Right. And actually it's the first, it's kind of a, a step sort of akin to cooking. You know, you're in a participatory right. um, mode when you do that. Right. So so I just wanted to thank you so much for being willing to come on and talk about cooking. Um, I think that we're all becoming aware of not only uh, the importance of cooking, but how it can bring a family together, uh, contribute to uh, literacy and numeracy and uh, a relationship building and just the centrality again of uh, cooking in all our families. And I just like to thank you, Sally, for all the work you're do doing about helping us all uh, get learn to cook, get better at cooking, bring cooking back into the part of the family. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. So keep on cooking. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Sally about nutrition education for families and strategies to support healthy food exploration through cooking. Please remember to check out some of the relevant resources, including the Eatable Alphabet Kitchen Activity Cards, Quick Bites, and the Finger Foods Poster, Complimentary Food Introduction Infographics, the Picky Eating Video, and our Early Feeding Modules. I'd also like to direct your attention to the AAP Policy on Nutrition in the First Thousand Days. Thanks again for listening.
views, information, resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.